Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Talent Equation Podcast. If you are passionate about helping young people to unleash their potential and want to find ways to do that better, then you've come to the right place. The Talent Equation Podcast seeks to answer the important questions facing parents, coaches, and talent developers as they try to help young people become the best they can be. This is a series of unscripted, unpolished conversations between people at the razor's edge of the talent community who are prepared to share their knowledge, experiences, and challenges in an effort to help others get better, faster. Listen, reflect, and don't forget to join the discussion at thetalentequation.co.uk. Enjoy the show. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to this morning's conversation um, because um, it's likely to be relentlessly optimistic because I'm joined by Nick Hurd from Relentless Optimism. Um, Nick, welcome to the Talent Equation. Morning. Um, very much looking forward to this. Somewhat nervous, but I'm sure I'll overcome that in a minute. Uh, there's, there's no need to be nervous. As, as, as you know, uh, with the Talent Equation, we just literally have a conversation and we, we see where the conversation takes us and uh, just allow a couple of, um, you know, it's essentially a couple of practitioners to chew in the fat about the things that we see and, and feel. Um, I suppose the starting point is um, you, you join us from, from sunny Spain. I'm very jealous. Um, but um, the starting point, I suppose, is just to sort of give us a bit of the backstory around you as, uh, you know, kind of a, an educator, coach, et cetera, et cetera. And also the story behind relent- Relentless opt- Optimism, I suppose. Yeah. OK. Um, so but where's probably the probably best place to start is I was very fortunate to have fantastic um, PE teachers at school um, and they very, uh, from an early age, got me into um, coaching. I was coaching at 16. Um, had learned that um, stacking shelves in the, uh, in, in the supermarket at £2 an hour or something ridiculous um, wasn't as much fun as uh, lifeguarding and then uh, teaching swimming, which then very quickly moved on to um, coaching trampolining. And that really sort of cemented my desire to become a teacher. Um, so I went to St Mary's University, or uh, um, as the university is now in Twickenham, had um, three amazing years there doing a um, sports science degree. Um, actually, um, actually should have gone the year before, had spent far too much time in sixth form um, playing rugby and just being sport billy, earning some money and doing nonsense. And uh, 
one, in the wise words of one of my teachers, she said, you, uh, you, will, you may have got your way through GCSEs by talking a lot, but you will struggle at A-level. And despite an unconditional offer, she was right because the condition of going to university was two A-levels and I'd only managed to get one. Yeah. So I had that, um, that learning to fail very quickly, um, sort of galvanised in a year of uh, doing a sports studies A-level. Um, I did um, upper and lower sixth in a year just to get what I needed to get to university. So getting there really meant a lot. Um, thoroughly enjoyed university all the way through then. I think we were, I was the last year of grant that shows my age and um, was working and still swimming, teaching, coaching, and all of those things through uh, uni. Um, came out, um, toyed around with um, staying in coaching. Um, the, the job I had worked um, with uh, elite tennis um, youngsters, which was fantastic. I was working with a guy called Tim Exeter, who was the fitness um, director of fitness sport, whatever the title is or was then, um, at Northampton and we were we were training elite well what would be elite tennis uh, players mixed that up with a bit of personal training looking forward to the um, the one client that comes in and says oh by the way I um, I work for a big football team would you like to come join us and that never happened and then thought well actually the passion's always been young people and teaching let's go back and do a PGC and see where that gets us so um, I did that at St Mary's um, finished that had Great, um, a great time on the PGC course, which uh, if anyone's embarking on it, I highly recommend. But it's a year of just literally study, teach, study, teach, sleep, and um, you get through the other end. And then you're let loose with, with just a, this raw and energetic talent, which you know from, um, from your work with uh, the young people you work with. It's just fantastic. So... Um... And so having done your PGCE and sort of, I guess, embarked then on an education career, that then has led you around a number of different paths through your career. And I think there might be some, uh, it'd be interesting just to see how all of that then uh, arrived with you doing what you do today and also how Relentless Optimism came about. Well, yeah, 100%. I was um, was lucky enough to work in um, in a sports college um, now, I say back in the day, you know, 15 years ago, the, the sports colleges network um, was really big. And I worked in a sports college in uh, South London that um, the new, new head had taken over. It was, um, it, she'd been there 18 months by the time I joined. And in the PE department, there were about 14 PE teachers, which is unheard of in school. But she was a PE teacher herself and recognised the importance of PE on helping shape and mould the character of young people. So we had limitless resources and limitless time. And, um, you know, we were working with some of the most uh, disadvantaged and challenging young people, um, you know, that the, the, the community served. Um, it was a great, great um, learning experience because having thought I could teach, I, I went there and realised that, oh, my God, I can't. And then had that moment of what am I going to do? I've now got this job where it's really difficult, highly stressful. And it, and it started to unlock that, um, the value of relationships. And, you know, as, as coaches or teachers working with young people, you're often the most consistent aspect of that young person's life. So I think the, I think the relentless optimism seed started there. So um, it... it I mean, as a PE teacher and a coach, you're in and out of the changing room. And so you're in and out, helping, you know, you, it's almost like um, 
uh, Mark Bennett's um, work when he talks about um, training recruits, you're healthy, you're starting with children that have barely got themselves dressed to end up coming, you know, huge distances across London to secondary school. They then have to get changed for PE and get changed back again. And so you're, you're actually helping them regulate their, their own um, personal administration and, and so you're always eyes, eyes open. And, um, and I had a, a young lad whose name I cannot remember, but he, um, he was reluctant to change. So we were over and, uh, you know, you got 40 boys changing in a change room. And um, most of them um, um, from um, minority ethnic backgrounds. And there's this one uh, white lad, Jason, his name was, standing in the corner, not changing. And we were like, you know, let's have a, a, a conversation around it. And he, and he, took his vest off and showed me a body covered in about 120 cigarette burns. And I was like, oh my God, we, you know, those things you only talk about teacher training. Um, and that's a, a series of events for him that would have, you know, no doubt been very traumatic, um, he, um, but would have held, led him to a better place. And he said, my mum loves me. This is how she shows me. And it kind of like breaks your heart. And then you realise the importance that you have as an educator on um on changing young people's lives and i and about that i was going to make a difference um i then um finished a master's very uh, quite quickly uh, moved into school leadership and I, I wanted to have more influence on on um on how schools worked and moved into a um an assistant head post where I was responsible for learning and teaching, which was fantastic because all of the things that you talk about with practitioners on the podcast, hundred uh, percent relate to what teachers do. And I think there's a, the, you know, maybe we can explore that teacher coach language because I think they're, they're synonymous. Um, and my, my destination was going to be to be a head teacher. We, um, I then moved to an inner city school in Lambeth, which was fantastic and landed with um, a team that, that very quickly became clear that we shared the same values, and um, I think I, uh, I think I, I probably went down like a lead balloon when I arrived at school because I said teachers are important, but children are more important. Mm. I don't think the, the colleagues that I was joining were ready to hear that, and then those that did very quickly aligned, and we started to change the culture in the school where we were really putting young people first, and that's that's where just talking um, like we are with a couple of colleagues, we said, look, what, what are we doing? Why are we, you know, why don't we, why don't we um, get a Twitter handle? Let's build a website. And we got ourselves to, to do a website. And we said, well, look, the two things that I want out of my team is to be relentlessly optimistic for the young people that you serve because, uh, well, all people. So I think when you work with people and young people, certainly you're often disappointed. It's a bit like my golf, to be honest. You, you, you have a cracking round and then you come back and then play a terrible round and you think, why have I bothered? And then the last shot always makes you think, oh, I can do this. I'll come back again. And working with children can be like that because it's, it's very rarely consistent. And the other thing that we um, just said that was important to us is to ask how we can do it better for the young people that we serve. Um, and those two things led to, you know, this notion of being relentlessly optimistic and, um, and our sort of, there's a, there's a, on the Twitter um, feed and on the website, there was a, a video by uh, Levi's, so the Running Through Walls video, I don't know if you remember it. And that, that yeah. like, that's what we need to do for our young people. We need to um, be prepared to run through walls for them in ways that um, other adults aren't. 
and um, and then help them through. Because sometimes they need a little more help than others. Help them through to be the best versions that they can be. Can you still hear me? The coffee machine's going in the background. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh, not a problem at all. Um, I'll have a cappuccino, by the way. Um, <laughs> coffee out here so much better than that. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? Always. I always think that whenever I go out there. I go, oh my God, it's such amazing coffee. Uh, <laughs> on its way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I said at the start, like, you know, you're, um, you're actually on holiday and you've um, chosen to spend some of your holiday time talking to me on a podcast. So, hey, look, I'm happy to uh, have the conversation, whichever way it comes, uh, coffee machines in the background or not. Um, just to make it authentic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There we go. Um, so my I've got some uh, just got some thoughts really around um, um, this idea, really. I mean, I, I want to start really, I suppose, with what you just talked about running through walls. I think this is um, a really important area that is often, uh, in my opinion, anyway, really overlooked, which is, I think, coaches in particular, you can tell me if this applies to the teaching profession as well. But mm -hmm. certainly in the coaching community, I think we tend to be really quite focused on um, the 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 stuff we do on the pitch or in the court or wherever it is we happen to operate on the track or wherever and that's our focus point and we talk about practices and design and sessions and making yeah. everything work like that and we almost feel like the stuff beyond that well that's not really for us to deal with that's for others mm. and i don't know I, in my opinion i feel like that's where we're we're missing the trick because it's all the other stuff. So talent equation was born from the concept of um, talent or ability or people's develop, you know, human development is a equation in my mind between the internal factors that people bring. So that's their kind of psychological internal factors, mental, emotional, physical, all those sorts of things. Those are their, their abilities um, combined with um or you know so it's their physical capabilities combined with the internal capabilities those mental emotional things and that is massively influenced by external factors so uh social factors friends peer groups um uh you know um club environments um yeah. parents etc etc all of that is a massive influencer and we in my opinion as um, leaders or support people who support young people's development need to take that into consideration and we play quite an important role in making all of that support that individual through development and and you describe it as running through walls because often I think it feels like running through walls and mm. therefore it goes in the too hard box so we then focus back on what we can control which is our environment so we create our environment yeah. but actually there is an an ecological framework to this which is there are layers outside of the young person so starting with that young person there are layers which we play a role in influencing or at the very least influencing the young person to be able to navigate more effectively with all the other things going on in their lives so i feel like that's kind of what where you've centered on with relentless optimism would that be a fair summation of what what you're looking to try and achieve yeah um yeah definitely i think um i think I think young, so, so young, young people need adults that notice, okay? And, I've, and when you work with, so, so I've got, it's, it, as, a, as, a, as a teacher, 
you have a, a huge sphere of influence, like a coach, on young people. I'm, I'm a teacher because of great teachers. And I would imagine that the majority of the coaches that, that are working, and teachers working with young people, are there because they are inspired and have been inspired by great teachers. And it's, and it's absolutely more than just the, the, uh, the, the, um, the technical side of coaching. It's about feel. And it's about creating, you know, for me, creating environments, whether it be in the classroom for young people or in the work I do outside with, um, with a charity or the work I'm now doing with apprenticeships across London. It's about creating a feel and a, and a sense of notice. That, that they experience because when you're valued you, you know yourself you do more um, I know that's my coffee arriving gracias um, you, do, you do more you, you commit more you um, are more receptive to other people's ideas and I think often it can 100% agree with your narrative around uh, the, the war against drills um, you know they're not they're not fun experiences and uh, that how, how something feels is the biggest determinant for me on the likelihood of success or changing behavior. Does that make sense? Completely. Um, and I, you know, I've always been, uh, uh, that's always been a huge driver. I think that there's something you said actually several times in the, in your kind of introductory piece that I think is really indicative of this. And it'd be worth, I'd be interested to just get you to expand on this a little bit, which is you mentioned about the young people we serve. This was a phrase you used time and again, and that, for me, um, says a lot about the approach and the, 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 the focal point, which is there to serve these individuals on their journey through life. And I'm very influenced by the concept of servant leadership. So just expand on that for me. So, so as adults, if we don't like our life, we can change it. So I, um, if I didn't, didn't want to... Um, uh, be a teacher I could change it I could have stuck out being a coach or personal trainer or whatever else as a child when you're entrusted to another adult whether it be in coaching or um, a coaching context or a classroom you you as adults serve those young people because they can't change their lives so they don't have necessarily the agency or the resource to change it so we are absolutely a hundred percent serve those young people and it's it's funny it's it's something that's opened doors for me but also as as constrained where my career has gone and um and i'll I'll give an example so i was um i i thought i was destined for headship and um was going to then influence uh, a, a great number of young people great number of colleagues and we were going to make magic happen that didn't work out for me um Largely because, well, largely because I think um, yeah, headship is like, it's like football management. You're, you're, you're either, you know, instantly appointable or you're not. And also, I refuse to say that, um, that results are more important than people. So when talking, to, um, when talking to colleagues or governing bodies or whoever it was around young people, my, my drive has always been better people. If you create, and it's, and it's, you know, it's funny because a lot of the things that, that I read have shaped my thinking, but have also given me language for what I felt and what I thought. So the, so um, Mark Bennett's uh, Rule of Three absolutely resonated, and I now think he's official stalker, um, is that because it gave a language to what I was trying to do when I was teaching or coaching outside of the classroom, 
And um, if you can get but create better people, you create better outcomes. Now, for a, for a governing body to appoint somebody on that basis is probably a risk because what a governing body wants to hear is, oh, we want to improve results. But you can't get results unless you get the behaviours right. And creating better people or better behaviours will lead to those outcomes. So, um, it, it, and to do that, you, we are servant leaders. We serve a, a community of young people that don't have yet agency to change their own destinations or their own, own lives. So we need to be very mindful and respectful of that, um, that I say, power, that, that, that position that we hold. So they, in that context then, environment becomes essential because if the environment is full of compliance, in yeah. the sense that um, you are told what to do, you're told when to do it, you're told how to do it, um, and, you know, um, woe betide you if you, uh, you know, kind of step out of line because there are significant, there are serious consequences. Um, if that's the environment, then, you know, surprise, surprise when, um, you know, in, some individuals may well progress through that, you know, fairly, fairly comfortably. Um, but it will definitely have some significant knock on effects in the sense that it's, uh, it negates so many other aspects of how young people need to be able to operate in the world. Because, you know, in my mind, whether we talk about life or we talk about sport, it's, it's about decisions. It's a constant process of decision-making. You yeah. have, you have choices to make in any given moment about the way you're going to act, the way you're going to react, the way you're going to uh, interact with another. The If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. The, the method you're going to use, the, you know, whether it's going to be you know, aggression or it's going to be um, you know, negotiation or it's going to be uh, dialogue or whatever it might be. There are lots of choices that people have all the time, every single day, every single moment, every day. They have a lot of decisions to make. Now, if you haven't got an, an environment where you can experience choice, you can experience decisions and you have, a, you have tools that help you um, or you, you have you the opportunity to develop tools, if you like, experientially um, with some guidance around um, making choices 
moment to moment and understanding what the consequences of those choices are, dealing with those consequences, um, reacting to those consequences, and then moving and moving beyond those. If you don't have an environment that that fosters that, explores that, is safe to fail, um, creates those different scenarios, then how do you expect young people then when faced with those challenges and there isn't a rule book telling them do this or do that, how do you expect them to be able to navigate that space? So they live in a world of, in my opinion, I feel anyway, young people, and one of the reasons I think they find it so difficult to navigate in the world, the world at the moment, they live in a world between a ruthless authoritarianism and laissez-faire, do whatever you want. And yeah. it, it must be so hard to find your way through that because the consequences on either end are so extreme. Yeah, uh, 100%. And um, it's... Um it's funny we had um we'd had a session uh, like a leadership session with uh, Keith Anton mm-hmm. um he came into school to do some work with the leadership team and um or my then school leadership team and he said something that led me to to sort of try and model it in a, we call I called it the think model he started with the phrase people always do the right thing for themselves as they see it at that moment in time Mm-hmm. Now, when you're operating in, in what you describe uh, uh, an author- authoritarianism at one end and laissez-faire at the other, it's very hard to know what are good choices in that situation. And um, so, my so my role, I was I, I was behaviour and data and all of those things. So I was I would be on call and be called to a situation in a classroom where a child has made a bad choice. Now we're still very mindful that 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 even a 15-year-old, 16-year-old strapping hunk of a, of a young man is still a child and still needs to be given choices. And what, what I noticed was you get um, like a deficit situation where the teacher is always right, even if they're not right. And the teacher is always right and the child has to lose. So I was be, we'd be called out to these, these um, you know, and it's quite common in schools to have a senior team on call and you go and, you know, firefight in essence. And you'd be called out to these walls of attrition. She said, I did this, I didn't do that, he did this, and whatever else. Mm-hmm. And it was just vacuous. And, and what, um, what we then talked about was, or the, the phrase, I'd use two stop phrases, really. If I was watching what was going on through the window, would I be proud, yes or no? Mm-hmm. And children have an ingrained moral compass. And the, and the pride thing's fascinating because over, what, seven years of using it, I did never had a child say yes when they knew that they hadn't been. So my next question was, do you know what you need to do, what what it needs to look like when you go back into the class? Can you show me and can you make me proud? Yes. And invariably, I was very rarely called back to deal with the same child in the same setting. So we've given a framework. Children can navigate and operate really successfully in it when it's so broad and then this is the challenge that you know you have with working with young people in schools or um, in different coaching contexts. If everyone if everyone does it and sticks to the framework, whilst there's security and rigidity rigidity around it, children can operate and function really highly. When they go to Mr. Armstrong's class and he doesn't expect those things, or Mr. Armstrong's coaching session, he doesn't expect those things. It, it's destabilizing for them because they're like, well, why isn't he picking me up on this? Because if I'm in with Mr. Hurd, I know that he's going to give me the look and say, can you do it better? Yes or no? Yes, right, show me. Do you, do you see what I mean? So it's, it's really, really hard. And that's, that's why they need adults that, A, notice, 
and B, that are prepared to run through walls when necessary, create environments that are safe, stimulating, challenging, where you can fail openly and unpick it and understand why. Because the, 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 the bandwidth, as you said, is so huge and there's so much danger now involved um, for young people as well. Um, that the choices aren't as probably we had when we were growing up, which we, it was it was a lot more um, structured. If you ride your bike on the pavement, you got a clip around here from the copper. Now it's a different world, you know. So that's why I'm very passionate that that we serve young people in those environments. Does that make sense? Well, a hundred percent. I mean, and and you know, you you make a, a really important point around, um, you know, I. You hear a lot, don't you, on uh, social media and stuff about, um, you know, what, what they term, you know, the, the snowflakes, you know, this generation that is, you know, wow. kind of incapable of um, coping with any, uh, you know, kind of challenge or difficulty or anything mm-hmm. like that. And, um, and, and it's almost as if an older generation is sneering at a younger generation for, you know, kind of, you know, you, you've, you have it all, you've, you've never been so prosperous, you've never had so much uh, opportunity and all these sorts of things, and yet you can't cope and you can't manage and all these sorts of things, and what the hell's wrong with you? Well, um, I, I don't know if that older generation fully realised that um, everything that's, that's happening with this sort of younger, so-called younger generation is, is a product of a system or a culture that has been created by... Um, adults and I'm not necessarily going to malign them saying that they were doing it wrong like you say they were probably trying to do the best thing that they thought they could do in the moment but um I think there's a, there was an awful lot of people or an awful lot, a lot, awful lot of people have had a look at the systems that have been created around particularly education but also you know other aspects of um you know kind of human development that have failed to notice <laughs> your, your point of notice failed to notice the human aspect and yeah. It, this pervasive um this pervasive scenario or not scenario but pervasive almost like cultural driver that we've had that the idea is is that human development is something that is uh, akin to um you know, mechanization whereby you know it's input output you know I, I put input in and i get an output out and that's what we're looking for and, and the results point you started you know come back to the point you know i refuse to say that results are more important than people i've had several conversations recently um with individuals who have been um what's the word i'm looking for who have had a similar experience to you where, where they have their their unwillingness to compromise from that perspective of people are more important than results mm-hmm. has 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 uh, basically come at great personal cost to them and there is a you know, if this podcast is becoming about anything, I mean, it's it's one of the things it's becoming about is the fact that uh, young people deserve a lot better. And there are people out there who see them as a commodity. Yeah. They see what they can produce as valuable and not themselves as beings as valuable. And the world has moved in this situation. So I, I feel now that the so-called snowflake, if you like, is actually um, actually just a human being who finds it very, very difficult to pick up on the cultural cues and therefore know how to act in a given moment. And also, it's also an individual who has never had uh, that focus placed upon them, that choices are important and learning about 
and making decisions is, is important. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like they've ever been given that opportunity to explore the pros and cons of each of those things. And therefore, it's no surprise that they literally just, I mean, you talk about fall to pieces, they don't fall to pieces, but I can imagine that the stress of that is, 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 is really quite high. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting, the snowflake thing, because um, I guess, I guess my, my, my sort of unrel- unrelenting passion is, is, is centred around the disadvantaged young people in London. And that, that's obviously where, you know, where I'm based. And, you know, the snowflake generation, you know, certainly not in 20 years of education is something that I've seen in, in the schools I've worked in. I mean, the reality for, for, for children that are disadvantaged is the first is you don't need to tell them they're disadvantaged. They know straight away. They see it the moment they get on the bus. When they see the uh, uh, other children going off um, in their expensive blazers and boaters and everything else to their uh, fee-paying schools, and that's not a knock at uh, fee-paying schools at all, a, a, a child coming from an estate in London will see hundreds of kids travelling across, and straight away they know that they're not the same. Second is that um, the, the reality isn't, um, is I wouldn't be as crass to say it's a parenting thing, because you know, parents are on the you know a lot of parents are on the breadline, and working two jobs, three jobs. Dad works nights, mum two jobs in a day, and and so the reality for these children is that they are on their own, not uh, out of uh, bad parenting, out of good parenting, and trying to survive. The um, you know the, the 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 exposure then to people that would manipulate them for their own ends. So um, sadly, a lot of our work was with young people on the edge or near um, gang-related activity and criminal activity. So a child, you know, a 14-year-old, 15-year-old boy works out very quickly that he can take a fiver into Poundland, spend it, and come out with loads of stuff that he can sell on his way to school and double, treble his money. <laughs> you know, so, they're, so, so they're, they're gritty and resilient. And it's... Um, it, they absolutely need people that notice that, recognise it, and then can channel it. You know, I, I think one of the defining defining things for, for for me two years ago was when we've got um, exams, GCSE exams, and I've got a young lady that we've taken out. Uh, she came to us via the proof, so um, there's a lot of chat at the minute about the missing children, where children are off-rolled and disappear we were very clear on that, that anybody that started with us finished with us or if they didn't finish with us, we would be involved in their next educational placement, whatever else. And uh, she didn't, this young lady didn't turn up for her English exam. So I sent one of the, one of the team, Relentless Optimism team, round to go to the house and find her because she was an incredibly bright young lady. And, um, and, and he was gone ages. And I was like, well, you know, get him on the phone. What on earth are you doing? The exam's about to start. He said, I can't talk. So he gave the phone to one of the other relentless optimism guys. He said, he can't talk. He's resuscitating a mum who had, uh, had tried to kill herself the morning of this, this girl's English lit final paper, mm. which is critical for her to go on. That's the reality when you work with disadvantaged communities and, and when you serve young people you know you'll you'll do whatever it takes for those young people because they can't change now for her not to have gained her GCSE okay might have been a setback for a year but the fact that she got got it and she she did incredibly well was one of the most humbling and defining moments of of the work that I've done in in schools and the fact that one of the team felt it that much 
as I did, you know, nobody really wants to be going round to an estate to resuscitate somebody's mum that's had an overdose or whatever else. Um, on the, you know, in a suit on a, on a July or June morning. But that's what you need. That's what people do for young people. And that's not just what we do. That goes on up and down the country where the reality of working with, with, with young people, at the, 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 the um, I say the cutting edge, it's not the cutting edge, is it? On the breadline in the marginal communities is that, that you need to do whatever it takes to help them up. Um, and then once they've, you've kind of leveled the playing field, there's, a, there's an opportunity for them to excel and to fly. So the snowflake thing was, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not something that I'm overly familiar with, although I'm very mindful of the, 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 the pressures that the exam system, the outcome system um, puts on both teachers and young people. Um, I've just had a 16-year-old to get his GCSE results, which were, were great. Um, and all I said to him was just work hard. I said, I don't care not what you get, just work hard. And, and that's where we need to shift to, to being people-centred, I believe, and, and make it about work and hard work and effort as opposed to, I'm not saying that you quantify it, well done, you've got a seven in your effort grade. It's just let's build those habits and those behaviours around, okay, I've got it wrong, right, what, do you need to, what questions are you going to ask now to understand that better? Or what questions are you going to ask so that you come away from that knowing what it is that you need to do to be better at it the next time. Which is a very different approach, isn't it? Than, um, than just sort of saying, you know, get the right answer, come what may. (laughs) Well, well, it's so I was out out running as often as I do, and I I feel like like with I I spend as much time with you as I do (laughs) my wife, um, in and out of work and podcast listening and whatever else and when you had the um the magic academy boys on that that all of that work is based on questions yeah asking right questions education is about questions coaching is about questions why did that not work as well as you thought it did what was your intention how can we do that better what would you what would be different if this happened and if you can get that right so we go from asking then to telling you can start to influence behavior because if you tell me, I'm really not, you know, I was told to stop talking, you know, stop, well, stop blagging it and get on and do some work. And it didn't change my behavior. It was only the act of failing and then asking questions about, well, why did that, why did I convince myself that I could talk my way through A-level that you learn, that the learning takes place. Yeah. And I often become telling, right, we're going to, you know, and it, it's, it's, so my boys all play rugby. Youngest, uh, the eldest one and the, the middle one are both in, a, in a, a player development academy, elite academy and whatever else. And sadly, the eldest has been gifted with my genes. So he's not, uh, he's not six foot four tall and six foot wide and 18 stone and able to run 100 metres in seven seconds. So, you know, who knows where it goes? And I've said to him, just work hard. And I made a conscious choice not to get involved with coaching with them on a Sunday morning because I wanted to go down as dad. And what I didn't want to be then is this mega PE nose that knows everything about everything and, you know, overly involved. Because I thought, well, I can't do it for all three of you because I can't be in three places at once, which is often the case on a Sunday morning anyway. But I just then took a, well, let's just have a look and watch what goes on. And the volunteer coaches, they're all, you know, do a fantastic uh, job, but they are still, they are telling coaches as opposed to questioning coaches. 
And so I've been dropping in, oh, you need to listen to this podcast. Have a listen to this. This might help. <laughs> Have you thought about your language? You know, and the, the, the clarity of the language is absolutely key. You know, for things like, a, I don't know, if you take a breakdown in rugby, is it a ruck? Is it a, is it, um, if it's a ruck, what are you going to do with it? So you hear drive over, clear out, move him out of the way, kill him, drive through it, smash it. But what one of those five words do you mean that's going to have meaning for the young person that you're talking to? Because if you say different words, they're different things. They haven't got the, 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 the vocabulary or the, the knowledge to know that those five things mean the same in an outcome that you want. So um, it, it's, it's that, the, 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 the questioning around why has that happened? What would you do differently? And it's the same in a classroom with a, um, um, you know, a teacher asks a question, child responds, then we move on. Well, actually, if we're, if we're listening and really thinking about it, why aren't we asking another question? What's the question you want to ask based on that? Why did that happen? Why did you, you, you intended that? This is what's happened. Why, why has that happened? And, it, and it, it changes 100% the way that you interact and the value you get out of those, those interactions with young people. Because all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're asking them and they're, they're empowered. So whether it be about why, why was it a good idea to stick two fingers up at the copper that's just driven past and drop a can of coke on the floor and then run. Why would, why would that be a good idea? Because then it sets on a series of events. And once you can have those conversations, you can start to unpick and modify behaviour. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And on a soapbox and I can't get off, sorry. No, no, no. It's the, if anything, this podcast is about, it's about soap, people being on their soapbox, in fact. In fact, the podcast doesn't work if people don't get on their soapbox. Um, the, um, the, just a, the, on that subject of, um, of questioning, um, I, it's interesting, or just flicking back actually quickly to the to snowflake thing, I think, I think you're probably right in the sense that um, I think uh, the whole snowflake thing is a, is a bit of a media uh, creation and probably only um, is reflected by essentially, you know, kind of middle class people who, um, you know, have created this scenario of um, expectation one of the things I find very interesting is how um, adult expectation. Um, so you, when you talk about the results culture, so it manifests itself in lots of ways. But um, in a parenting context, um, expectation, I think, is one of the key issues. So in, in your context, like you say, with, with the kids that you're working with in, in that kind of disadvantaged community, those kids are like you say, you know, their parents are trying to survive. They're trying to survive. They have to take a lot of personal responsibility really quite quickly because mm. they have they become adults really far too soon, don't they? They don't have the benefits of childhood or some of the benefits of other kids' childhoods because they're having to perform uh, parenting duties, either caregivers of other kids or all that stuff. So I get that. And I, and I do agree with you in terms of, but the thing is without the right kind of support that can work two ways, can't it? Because if you're supported by somebody, an adult who notices, I love that phrase. If you're supported by an adult who notices and you can be given the right kind of guidance, then uh, you, the resilience element that comes with that can be really powerful and can be, re and can set you in a, on the right path. However, mm. if you don't have that guidance and you make a series of, seemingly inconsequential mistakes but then become huge then uh, it can crumble you it can absolutely destroy you and can set you on a really really negative path mm -hmm. and so the guidance pieces in my opinion it's true that some things change as we get older 
But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. these external factors is really, really important. Um, I talk about this quite a lot, and it's an area that I'm, I'm quite interested in around that, that, you know, people talk a lot about, there's been quite a lot of research done, you know, with this whole idea of talent needs trauma. And, and that is, again, talent needs trauma is a myth um, mm. that has, and even the researchers who coined the phrase talent needs trauma uh, have said, we wish we'd never had because it's one of those sort of memes that's grabbed and people now go, Oh, talent needs trauma. It, it doesn't, uh, but it can, it can be a beneficial thing. Tra- traumatic experiences can be a beneficial thing to those people who are developing them, their, their potential or their capability. But I think the important ingredient is the support. Yeah. Um, and, and just so just before I jump off that, I, I agree with you. I, I think you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a flippant comment to talk about snowflakes. I think what I'm talking about is, um, young people who don't benefit from the support of adults who notice, um, mm. and, and get asked the right questions, uh, don't necessarily have the framework they can use to reflect themselves, to be able to make the right kinds of decisions. And then sometimes they're in this reactive death spiral almost. And I think that's yeah. kind of what I think I was referring to. I think, I think also there is, the, so, so, so growing up, if I wanted to use the phone, I'd have to ask my mum. Now there was no point in me asking to use the phone because I had no one to phone. <laughs> okay. So it was like, well, why would, you know, now we have, you know, and I'm not, um, we are where we are technology and the mobile phone thing I think has contributed a lot to the pressure um, that young people are now under so they they you know this this year the year's cohort of um, of um, a level and GCSE students will sit have sat more exams than any other cohort that's gone before them they've moved away from a um, a coursework supported approach to these massive um, linear exams. They're under pressure because of what media prescribes uh, they should look like and feel like. There is um, no surprise. I think this week there's been a, a what is it? One in four uh, 14 year old girls um, will have uh, self harmed at some point. Um, the, the, I mean, it's you know, funny, fascinating around the poolside with uh, with um, cousins and whatever else. Where I've got six year olds saying, "Look at my six pack." 
you know, like, oh, well, yeah, that's great because you're six and you don't have probably a couple of pints in the evening and a bottle of wine, you, you know, and it's, it's this uh, body-obsessed culture and this result, it's all about what I look for results. And we've moved away from what it feels like. And, and so there is, there is spiraling mental health issues with the, the young, younger generation. I'm not convinced they weren't there with the older generation, but there wasn't, um, there wasn't maybe as much media uh, pressure, pressure to conform, and um, and life, you know, life was harder. But everyone was grafting. Now there's, there's more time to to for these things to manifest itself. Um, my stepdaughter sat over on a lounger with her YouTube videos, watching or texting or whatever else. Well, that's their world now, and it's about. Um, you know, building a resilience with them so that they can manage it. But, you know, if we had trouble at school, you went home and that was it. Now it's there 24 seven. Yeah. And the pressure on young people is huge. So aside from the, you know, the school based exam stuff, the pressure, if they're in a sporting environment where they want to be, um, um, they want to be, um, on an, you know, what would be termed an elite program or player development program or first team, whatever else, Plus, then what, what what media dictates they should and shouldn't be doing, you know, and it's um and it's it's it feels Stuart, to me that there's a generation of kids that have lost values. Yeah. So you hold the door, you know. So so one of the jobs you get to do as a teacher is the bus queue. Okay. So go and do the bus queue, and you've got a little old lady comes and gets to the front of the queue. So you say, um, afternoon, um, afternoon, madam, would you like to come to the front of the queue? Kids turn around and say, that's not fair. I was it's not fair. That's not fair. We were here first. I said, I think you're missing the point because we respect somebody that's older than us. That's gone. Holding a door open for somebody has gone. And it's gone from, it's now become very me, 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 me. The pressure around that is starting to implode because there's not, a, there's not necessarily the support or the, 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 the language or knowledge to un, undo where we are with all of that. Does that do, you know, do you know what I mean? Whereas before, in our, you know, in our day, you, you, you respected somebody because they were older, period. That was it. You held a door open for somebody because that was good manners. You said please and thank you, but if you didn't, you got cuffed around the head and told how embarrassing for me you didn't say thank you to so-and-so. You know, and, and, and those values, those things have gone. And I think they're detrimental because they were a framework for w- which young people would operate off and knew, they knew where they were. And now it just there's an entitlement and an arrogance around it, which isn't particularly um, pleasant because, well, we were here first. And, yeah. um, and I think it's a, it's a massive job then to try and put those values back. So I coached them. Um, I coached um, when um, my oldest was four, there was nowhere for him to go and do football at the time. So I set up a little thing down the park with, um, with a mate where uh, kids would come along and they'd play um, a couple of quid to play football. And I used to have four pitch, um, two pitches and do five aside with the target goals. Okay. And I'd have dads down there and it was just footy in the park. And I would do a little bit of coaching, um, a lot of fun. Everyone had a ball all of the time, apart from when we played. And it was all fun-based. And if uh, somebody put in a, a, you know, a moody tackle or whatever, it was a stop the game, right, can you go and pick him up, shake his hand, what do you need to do? And say, sorry, great. Didn't have any of the nonsense of the, the touchline dad. Um, it was fun, it was safe, it was enjoyable. And I used to, I used to be overrun 
my numbers. I could have done six pitches, eight pitches, because we built it. We did it on values. Um, I'd get the um, when the, the actual the skills. I you know you know at that age everyone um, flocked around the ball, and um, when they became difficult and and constrained the game, I'd put in like, what I used to call it the Yan Mulby. So I'd get one of the dads to be the holding midfielder, and all he would do is stand there and put the ball into space. Okay, so the the the, the children then get an idea of where space is. And I think coaching football is very different to rugby, or um, and, and and probably more like hockey, where so, you know rugby everything's in front of you, isn't it? With football, hockey, you're up and down, and everything's in all those spheres. But just built it on fun and manners, and uh, and the parents would say it's amazing. Said, you know, why do you why have you done that? I said because they don't. You know, where's the you know where, where else are they going to get that input? You know, be kind, play, have fun, say please and thank you. We'd have handshakes and thank yous at the end. Thank the dads. We'd have dad of the man. You know, all sorts of just fun and nonsense. But it was a really great environment. And I think, I think that that there's a there's a, a layer of of young people that have not had any kind of value input outside of school or you know maybe formal coaching situations just because parents maybe aren't there because they're working or whatever else and they're then increasingly under pressure because of all of the social media stuff that the the, the um, prescription to ascribe uh, to look a certain way to get these amazing you know gcsea level results to go on and do amazing things and and, and actually the fun of you know the fun of childhood's gone the, the best thing that's happened um um, over the last few months, his husband fell out of the tree and cracked his head open. It's absolutely brilliant. I was like, you know, that's fantastic, Dexter. That, um, you know, pain is temporary. Chicks dig scars. Absolutely brilliant. He's climbing a tree. Then <laughs> where that doesn't happen anymore, does it? It's interesting, isn't it? That um, I think the challenges with young people and the way they the increasing sort of, like you say, the narcissism and the me, 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 and I'm the only most important thing. You know, it's a direct reflection of cultural, you know, a, cult, a cultural aspect. You know, they, they are mirroring the culture because mm. everything around them is telling them that their value is contingent um, or their self-worth is contingent on out, outcome. Yeah. So, you know, in a lot of schooling environments, and you talked about fee-paying schools, but... You know, one of the things that I, I spend quite a bit of time in that in that environment and a lot of a lot of the time, you know, I speak to the staff and all those sorts of things. And one of the challenges that, you know, they often say is, is that, you know, these are young people who basically have an acute awareness of of the fact that their their self-worth is related to um, what they can produce for the school in order to bring about results. And likewise, in an education context, you know, it's about, you know, we want you to do well. Why? Because we want the results. Not yeah. necessarily because we want you to do well I and mean, we're going to give you the tools and everything else to help you navigate the world, help you navigate through, through life, help, help you to try and achieve whatever it is that you can achieve. So you talk about these values frameworks. I think this is really essential. So I, I rail against this all the time. So I've got, you know, in, in my coaching, I've got parents asking me about, you know, did we put, send the results into the league table, you know, for under 11s cricket? Um, yeah. No. No, we didn't. <laughs> we don't care about that stuff. What do we care about? Well, we care about, you know, uh, what what values we've established for ourselves that the, the players said they were that were important. They wanted to be good teammates, so you know, teamwork. 
that you know they want to show sportsmanship uh, mm. they want to show they want to work hard yeah and uh, they want to achieve stuff and all that sort of stuff but it isn't just about the outcome and it isn't just about the result and if i send out messages that it is about that and i start saying oh yes we we won by this amount or we lost by this amount or we we achieved this and this was the best batsman who got the most runs and all these sorts yeah. of things i send out a completely different message yeah. and it's subliminal and people I don't think are aware of it. And so when people talk about how important winning is and everything else, what they don't realize is they're sending out a message to young people that you're valuable to us as long as you can help us to achieve this outcome. And then you're sending out a subliminal message to others to say, if you're not capable of doing that, you don't have value to us. Yeah. And then you can, then you can see how those values are mirrored in kids. Because then they begin to realize, well, it's just about me, isn't it? I've got to make, it's just got to, it's got to be about how, what I do and how I do things. And, so society has started to sort of create this culture, you know, this culture that uh, we value certain things over and above others. And even going back to the point about parenting frameworks, you know, so like, you know, like you say, you know, getting a clip around your ear and this, that and the other, and this is what we used to get and all that sort of stuff. And we don't get that now. Some of that is because you've got adults who don't notice. Yeah. Also, it's because to a certain extent, I feel as if the, the, the world has sort of moved into a, into a space whereby, so like, um, I think it, it, it's a contingent bonus. I mean, I had, you know, parenting uh, approach where like, where like a lot of us did where, you know, basically my, my mum mainly, you know, would, you know, either give me the look like you talk about, or, you know, you'd get the, the clip around the ear or this, that and the other. Um, but I don't know if that's necessarily what fostered my uh, way of being in the world. There's definitely some aspects of that. Um, but I've definitely taken approach with my kids that I'm not just going to tell them what to do but I am going to ask them a lot of questions about what they think the, the right course of action might be and what yeah. the consequences of different courses of action are. And I'm constantly, and this is another, this is a, a Mark Bennett thing as well. I constantly just lay options in front of my kids all yeah. the time. Say, You've got choice here. When my seven-year-old, you know, she's saying, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Okay. okay I, there's a choice, right? You've got a choice to do this, right? And then the, the outcome, and just, just so you're aware of it, the consequences of this, or you've got a choice to do this and the consequences of this. Mm -hmm. Just make a choice. And it, it quite often takes her a while to come to the resolution of that choice because she realizes one's pretty clearly the best one to do, yeah. but she makes a choice. And, a and I, my job is to follow through on the consequences. So she begins to realize that you can't do certain things and expect to just walk away from it scot-free. That's another aspect of this, by the way. Yeah. I think it's incumbent upon us to follow through on our obligations in consequence. Again, I think we often are letting kids off because we feel it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's, the, it's the good thing to do. That's not correct, in my opinion. In my opinion, they need to understand that there are moments in time where an, a choice of action will result in certain consequences. And if one is, oh, don't worry, we'll let you off. And then the other one is, you, know, you, you do have to follow through. Otherwise, you don't get the opportunities for learning. Well, that was that's, that, that's um, it's, um, like the golden rule of... Um of teaching, I think, um, oh, and, and coaching, working with young people full stop, is if you say it, you've got to see it through. So the whole, um, so if you think back to school detention, if I set a detention for you at lunchtime, I've got to be prepared to teach a five-lesson day without lunch. Yeah. So what often will happen is I'll set a detention. Uh, well, what often happens, I, I, if I said it, I did it, because it was like, you know, I'm working at the um, first school of the sports college, worked with 15 other PE teachers, that were all on the same page. So you couldn't ask me for a ball at lunchtime and I say no, and then go and ask uh, someone else and they would say yes. 
So there was the PE was what shaped the school and moved the school forward very quickly because of those values and that consistency. So if I'm going to set a lunchtime detention, I've got to be prepared to lose my lunchtime. If I say we're not going to go out because your behaviour um, in this situation hasn't been good enough, I've got to be prepared to then do the walk of shame or do the phone call to say, look, we can't actually come because we've had a situation. Yeah. And that grey area, so children exploit the, 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 the grey area. So I like things to be black and white. And, um, and, and binary and that if you do the right thing, that's great. If you don't do the wrong, if you do the wrong thing, but there's a consequence for that. And, and the child needs to understand or the young person needs to understand the consequence. If you start the, with the gray area in between where it's okay, I'm not going to pick the group up on you two talking while we're having a, uh, a review or uh, some kind of input or questioning. Then the moment I let that go, I condone it. And so it then becomes a more of a challenge because other children or young people then go, well, look, he's not picking that up, so we'll do that. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard. And I think that framework is so important because it gives them the security of, of, of what, what's acceptable or not, how they're going to work. And then once those, I say, ground rules, those expectations are clear, but they can move forward um, within that. Yeah, but people don't – one of the things for me is, is people don't spend enough time um, establishing what the expectations are. Yeah. And, and, and also they want to be liked. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so if, you know, you come to, you know, you know, you come to my coaching session and I'm really fierce on values and you don't like me. Okay. That's your, that's down to you, but you will leave here knowing that, that when I'm talking, you'll listen or, or when I'm asking for your input, um, then you'll, um, you'll, you'll conduct yourself in a certain way. Later on in life, you'll look back and think, actually, do you know what? Those are really valuable learning opportunities and I think we get caught up with the popularity contest and hearing um you know some of the the other guests talking where they're they're play-based approach and they're like well you're not doing anything well why would I be I'm asking questions and I'm setting the values of what's going on within this session that surely that's the most important thing yeah but they're not doing any drills well they don't need to be doing drills because they've got time on the ball and they're learning yeah um yeah, you know, it's it's on on uh, it's interesting um, uh, on the this this whole area of um, I think if people were to watch some, it depends on who I'm working with. To be honest, if it's if it's young children, then um, the emphasis probably is placed. I mean, there's still a behavioural expectation established from the start, and it's it's based on values. So always we can refer back to you know, are you being are you being a good teammate now? Or, or you know, is yeah. this good? Are you showing good sportsmanship now? Is this is this sort of is this how you're going to demonstrate um, you know discipline or work, working hard? So those those always useful things of reference points, and, and, and they're very and they're very important to establish with any organisation. But um, the the emphasis, if you saw a group group of young children, what you'd see is a lot of energy. Um, you know, an environment that's kind of very positive, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of reinforcement around, um, you know, kind of uh, effort and trying and, and yeah. striving and all those sorts of things. And if you see him working with a talent group and you just came along and observed, what it would look like is, well, so firstly, you wouldn't see me saying, saying a great deal, but, but it would, you would think that I was a bit of a bit, a bit tough. Yeah. Because you probably hadn't seen what you have, but what you haven't seen is um, this group have established uh, for themselves the desire for something to be, you know, challenging, difficult, uh, you know, kind of uh, and, and, and to strive and to push them. Right. And once they've made that agreement, my job then is to not allow them to fall back from that. 
yes. but not allow them to drop into unacceptable behavior that is not akin to the goals they've established for themselves. And my view always within this thing is, is that I think a lot of people fall foul of that. So they, once that, you know, if they have done that in the first place, right, which most people haven't, but if they have, then they will actually then go, oh, well, okay, in this, in this instance, it doesn't matter. Now, the minute you do that, the minute you don't feel, follow through on consequence, you've lost, in my opinion, because it shows that you are not prepared to be consistent to the values that you've established, in which case you shouldn't have bothered in the first place. Yeah. And then it all begins to unravel and crumble and your culture disappears. Well, you get that grey area and, uh, and children. So, so with, um, and this is where Mark's work um, um, just sort of hit, hit a spot and gave me a language that I probably was missing was um, you set an expectation rather than a rule. Okay, so if I worked with a group of young people, regardless of age, and I said there are 10 rules, these are the golden rules, they would find 11 and 12 and exploit it. Yeah. An expectation is fluid. You know, so you can't meet my expectation because it's fluid, but it's, you will meet it on these, based on these values and these behaviours. And the moment you, you, you know, and, and something you've said, um, which I meant to come back um, to you with around like the whole values and what does it feel like? Are you a good teammate? Um, you know, like with reporting on your cricket scores and things is in school and certainly in education, we would then try and justify that and then try and capture it in numbers. Oh, well, out of Stuart's uh, class, they, uh, their value rating is uh, nine out of ten. Hmm. Uh, when they started, they were only a four. He's had that much impact. Do you, and, and once you try and then constrain it, you, you lose feel. Mm. Mm. And the moment you've lost feel, you yeah. then have lost notice. And then you're not impacting in the way that you were. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's, things, aren't, things aren't measurable, are they? The, um, the, so if you, so um, I read, um, what's it, James Kerr's um, um, All Black book. Yeah. And yeah. Legacy. And, um, and that made so much sense based on feel. Yeah. Once they get outcomes, they were under. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job, it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Beautifully get outcomes, but the feeling of being part of that group of coaches, players, support, technical, all of that is off the scale. Yeah. Isn't it? And that's what changes and creates that culture. And, uh, and I think when you're in, in a performance environment, whether it be in elite sport or education or whatever else, somebody is asking you for uh, metrics that are quantifiable in number, 
but actually the, 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 they're not always, are they? Or the right things aren't quantifiable in number because you start then doing your feeling scores and your pride scores or your teammate scores and everything else. You just, you just de-aggregate all of those, um, all of those uh, learning blocks and those values. I think it was Einstein, wasn't it, who said, although Einstein's had an awful lot of quotes attributed to him that he didn't actually say, but it, I, think he, I think he said something along the lines of uh, not everything that matters can be measured and then not everything that can be measured matters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it makes a, I think you're right. I think, I think the measurement culture is another thing. So measurement in the form of results, outcomes, uh, you know, exam results, whether it's or, or team scores, but measurement also in the perspective of when you start to get people to take something that is, you know, qualitative in nature and then all of a sudden create metrics around it. Um, I think that becomes very, very dangerous. Mm. Uh, interestingly, um, I, I've been doing some work with them um, or trying to do some work with um Al Smith and Mark Upton and John O'Byrne, who who head up My Fastest Mile. It's a uh, really interesting not-for-profit. And they've developed a, a means through partnership with Bangor University, um, Dave Snowden's um, Kenevin, get this, Kenevin Center for Applied Complexity. <laughs> but they've developed a tool called SenseMaker, which uses a bit of machine learning. And what it does is it, it, it um, aggregates stories and it basically pulls out themes from stories. So instead of asking somebody, can you make a rating? And then all of a sudden something becomes really super number based. Actually, what you're looking for is, are we seeing a trajectory of stories that, that like sound more like the kinds of stories that we want to hear than the kinds of stories that we don't want to hear? And if we see more of the stories we want to hear, then we know we're somewhere in the right direction. Yeah. And that's a very different way, I think, of measuring or um tackling that kind of challenge that we sometimes have which is and you know we do live in this world and as much as we want to rail against it the reality is sometimes i think we have to try and find a means to justify methodology or or justify our stuff and therefore having a means by which to be able to say well actually this isn't just mumbo jumbo look at the effect it's having um based on the uh that what people are reporting qualitatively about their lived experience and that's quite an exciting uh, prospect, I think. Yeah, the, quali- uh, the, 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 the qualitative um, value of, of things, I think, is, is immense. Mm. Because it actually, you, it goes back to feel and what was the experience of that person at that moment in that encounter situation or what's the, the, lo- the lasting legacy of, that, um, of those, those um, episodes on that person's outcome um, their, 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 their life, their, them as a whole. I think it just, uh, it, it, well, I think as, as coaches and educators, you kind of, we lose sight of that because we're worried about, um, getting through frameworks or measuring against frameworks or have I got, um, have I got a waiting list? You know, the, 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 I suppose the, the what, what always, um, stood out for me with, with teaching and coaching was the, you know, did I have everyone taking part? And if, 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 I've got, if I've got 30 kids an hour or 40 kids an hour running around with happy, smiley faces, then, then I've done my job in, in some regards. The technical side of it and, you know, the, 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 um, the conversation you had with the um, uh, Magic Academy boys around the, you know, the courses being you go on a course and they're a proficiency, you get your badge and off you go. And then everyone's doing week one of uh, how to how to set up a mall or whatever uh, whatever by the book. And have you got your triangles for your base and all the rest of it, or whether it be Shinito teaching shop or whatever it is. 
they um that they you lose actually the essence of coaching which is building a relationship with a, a young person or a, or a coachee that's going to bring about a, a predetermined change yes um and and it's something you know why do we have to measure it all it's in, it's interesting my sort of my new project i'm um i'm now um out of school working with a, a group called ocean over who are based down in stratford and um we're trying to challenge how young people view the city because L- london's young people don't i say london's young people generalizing the, the the families and the communities i've served do not look across at london and see it as opportunity so the so the, the young people are constrained by postcode where they live um they don't travel um I had a fascinating conversation with a sixth former that really sort of lit this up for me uh, a couple of years ago at a careers event we had in school. And I said to him, um, where do you know in London? He said, Brentford. I was like, oh, well. And we were in uh, Lambeth. I said, oh, well, what do you do in Brentford? Do you go and watch football? No, no, I go to Clapham Junction. I get a train out to Brentford and I work in Asda. I was like, well, that's cracking. You know, good for you. I said, have you ever been to the South Bank? He said, where's that? And it was about two miles from where school was. I said, well, if you walk that way, you hit the river. I said, just take your girlfriend, go for a walk along there. It's amazing. Wouldn't do it. And so the, the kids don't, you know, they're constrained by where they are um, and don't necessarily get the day trips and other things that, that they would have. So the, so the new piece of work is about trying to unlock the city using apprenticeships for them. And we've, we've talked about, um, um, so it's going to be called Skyline Apprenticeships. We've talked about how we can unlock those opportunities, but very much build it on values and build their apprenticeship experience on a value base. So I'm working with Mark on it. Um, and um, the, 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 the interview questions and the questions we're asking the young people are value-based. So there's a reason, you know, it's not a, it's not a, um, a, maybe a standard why do you want to be an apprentice and tell us about yourself i'm trying to get understand what they're about you know try and get them to capture the, the narrative the qualitative value base of where they are because that then becomes immediately more endearing or more um, meaningful to a potential employee that can see uh, employer sorry that can see all oh, right look we really get a sense of their values that's what drives them that's what's in their core does that make sense a hundred percent and it, it's one of those things that um I feel uh, it goes back to what you were saying earlier on. I, this, 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 this word "feel." Yeah. We, we, we feel it's, it. It seems to me that um, we, we have, in an effort to try and quantify and measure everything, sort of, you know, objectively and empirically, we've lost sight of, you know, the kind of the, the human sense of it feels right. I mean, the amount of times I've been into a cultural environment where, you know, it, everything on the tin, you know, looks. It looks great and all the numbers stack up, everything else. It doesn't feel right. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's, it, I think we've, I think as, as, as humans, you know, in our, in our, in our evolution, we've, we've lost sense of some of those, uh, lost touch of some of those senses yeah. because we, we override them because we're high order thinkers. Yeah. And what we've lost is to be in tune with our environment and what's going on 
because we've got so much, you know, if you don't know something now, you go to, um, you go to Google, don't you? If, um, you know, the days of having to find something out in a library, I, I, someone tweeted yesterday about what this great new invention where you can listen to books, um, you can watch movies. It's like Netflix, but, um, but you don't have to pay for it. It's called the library. You know, so the whole way we access information's changed and we're desensitized to our environment. And, and that, that feeling of it, is 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 has gone so if you can light that up so the work that i'll be doing is trying to reconnect young people to the city via apprenticeships but if you can build that on a values and a feelings base so we'll be very much i'll still be very much a, a a teacher working with young people asking difficult questions getting them to think to change their behavior taking them hand by hand through um i mean i had a cracking uh, example of a lad come um uh, had an interview at richmond college and he said you know where it is sir i said yeah i do yeah it's uh, down the road from where i went to university i said you need to get to the clapham junction get a train out come out the station at twickenham turn uh, right towards rugby ground first left follow it down you get there he was going to do a building um, a building course he um i said um, are you going to go home and get changed he said, no, I'm ready. And he was wearing a, a grey mile tracksuit that was the, the backside of hanging out, had a baseball cap on and a, and a string vest. I was like, um, do you not think that you need to change because you want to create a good impression? He said, no, no, it's only building. And off he went. You know, so those, those, those conventions and, and rules aren't there for the, a, a lot of young people. Well, you need to put those in place. You need to make them feel what it's like to get dressed up in your number ones Go and do something that's, you know, different, nervous. I'll guide you through that. But all the time, I'm going to ask questions on, on the way. Yeah. And there'll be choices. Why is that, why is that an important choice? Why, would it, why does it matter what you look like when someone meets you for the first time? Yeah, the, the, um, I'm very passionate about apprenticeships. Um, and this is from a day job perspective. And I, had a, I actually had an apprentice in my first ever job in, in sport. Um, it was my first ever job, actually, at all. Um, mm-hmm. And we actually took on an apprentice. So it was a little bit like the blind leading the blind. But um, that young man um, has gone on to work for the International Cricket Council and uh, leads and manages some of their biggest events. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's anything to do with me, but what I am going to say is is that I think he learned a a whole stream of really valuable things about uh, work, uh, the expectations of work, all these sorts of things, which helped him then on his career path. And he could have gone away to university and done, and, and done something similar. But I think his progression has been shaped by that kind of entry into the into the work environment and understanding what's required. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I'm quite I'm so passionate about apprenticeships. But the other reason I'm so passionate about apprenticeships is it's experiential learning at its best. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of people criticize them and go, oh, it's minimum wage. Oh, da, 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 da. Actually, it's, it's the best, you know, it's on-the-job learning from mentors guides supports people who've been there and done it you know and in my opinion me learning as a coach as a coach i i did a qualification it taught me some stuff but what i really learned was working on the job with others guiding me helping me and that's only happened later later in my career and i spent 20 years just making loads of mistakes or 15 years making loads of mistakes and not not being able to know what to do so having someone there to guide you and that's fundamentally built into the model of an apprenticeship it's a it's you know, I see coaching, people talk about art and science. I see coaching as a craft. Yeah. And the reason it's a craft is um, it, it does blend the two. It's, it, you know, it's, it's creative endeavor. Um, but every great craftsman or craftsperson, I suppose, um, 
has had some sort of mentor helping and guiding them on the job, making, you know, becoming good at their craft. So I think apprenticeships in, um, in, in all walks of life are really valuable in that. And I would always, I think, go for an apprentice over somebody who has uh, a qualification or a qualification without any experience attached to it. I'll, I'll qualify that statement because I think an apprentice is going to have far more world-based experience. They're going to, they're going to be more employable in my opinion, or more job ready. But in coaching in particular, the apprenticeship model is the model that we should all aspire to. So yeah. we, we assume that people with a level three qualification are good coaches. Well, not if they just qualified yesterday. It's like being a, it's like being a driver that's just passed your driving test. It's, you're never more risky when you've just passed your driving test. Yeah. I can attest to that myself, um, to, to my cost. That notice thing. So yeah. that experience that, that that apprentice will have had, a young person or coach or whatever will have had, is based on, on that relationship that's built and the values that underpin you that are shared and it's it's then it, you know it becomes then a legacy that you like you say you pass down the old stonemason passes down to the next um, stone you know apprentice and yeah. the craft lives, but it it's built on um it's built on noticing and valuing and and uh, as a as a as a model I mean I think I think there's there's no better way to learn on the job and, and I know there's some bad press around it and all the rest of it. It's still a fantastic um, route for young people. Without you know, you know, and I've, I've sort of been quite vocal on um, Twitter around the, the whole fees thing and university. I've, I've got to be honest; I'm absolutely crapping myself because I've got three sons and a stepdaughter. That if they all want to go to university, I don't think I've got enough organs to ship on the black market to get them through. <laughs> the great but, news, the great news for you, of course, is the way the apprenticeship model is is rolling out is people will be able to do degree apprenticeships on the job the great thing about what they've done with apprenticeships in my opinion is is a lot of apprenticeships in the past were basically just dressed up qualifications you didn't really get that much on the job learning now you actually have to be employed to get on an apprenticeship so you're into work straight away which is ideal but it's building it's 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 experiential learning it's feeling yeah so one of the things that we're gonna you know and this comes back to where we started running through walls. Just because a young person's got to start on a on a job doesn't mean they're going to get there. And actually, yeah. sometimes there needs, um, you know, a hundred percent asking right questions. It's model behaviours. Sometimes there needs to be a bit of a prod. Yeah. Because I serve you, and I would be serving you, uh, doing you with an, uh, uh, an injustice if I didn't kick your backside and say, right, you need to sort yourself out because this isn't good enough goes and back I, to the point you made, we made earlier about keeping people accountable to expectations yeah. that they've established with, for themselves with you in agreement. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it, comes, it, it comes back to being, a va- you know, I think working with young people, when, whether you're coaching, whatever sphere, teaching, the apprenticeship work I'm going to be doing, comes down to building those relationships built on trust expectation agreeing what the behaviors and the are going to be the acceptable unacceptable and um and then and then holding each other to account for those um but you know it it goes you know it comes back to what i suppose what drove us at the start was um thinking back to you know jason with his cigarette burns over his body is noticing noticing yeah and actually young people have been able to say do you know what i'm having a hard time yeah 
and um, and then having that support network around them, whether it be from their coaching, uh, their you know their cricket coach, their teacher, another adult that just says, yeah, know what I I see that and I hear you. I'm you know I'm here, you know, and then you can start making transformational things happen. Now I'm very conscious that um, uh, by talking to you whilst you're on holiday, that I'm doing the very same thing of stopping you from noticing your children, and you probably now need to go and pull them off a sun lounger from looking at YouTube underneath their towels if they're anything like my kids, and you need to throw them into a pool, and then we actually need to start playing. So, and, and also I've uh, I've also got to uh, I've got some bits and pieces I need to I need to get on with today as well because as much as I'd love to con- love to ha- carry on the conversation, uh, the day job gets in the way. Not that I record the if my boss is listening. Not that I record these in the day no. at all. Um, uh, listen, Nick, I love love the conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think there's a lot more we could have talked about, but I know that it's probably prompted people they might want to get in touch with you and find out more about how relentless optimism can support maybe the the stuff that they're trying to do um and how they can help support young people better how do they get in touch if they want to know more so we um we taught ourselves how to build a website um (laughs) um, yeah that was um experiential learning and a lot of uh, swear words and uh, (laughs) i don't understand why it keeps moving across that's not supposed to be there that's where Um, youtube comes in it comes in handy though doesn't it (laughs) 100%. So um, you can find us at uh, www.relentless-optimism.com. Um, we're on Twitter um, on at our optimism. And the, um, if you want to find out more about the apprenticeship stuff, um, the website's due to go up, um, skylineapprenticeships.co.uk. So, um, yeah and um you know more than happy to to help share whatever there's a there's a there's an email link um on the website as well that's our optimism at gmail.com if anyone wants it but um but yeah just be a big fan of the uh, podcast and i'm um, delighted to be able to to share my uh experiences and if they're of use for anyone else then then great well, you're someone who's been at the coalface of working with kids with a range of different backgrounds and a range of different needs, aspirations and all those sorts of things. And your lived experiences, I think, are of huge value. I know a lot of people will get an awful lot out of the conversation. I certainly did. Um, and it's made me reflect, actually, quite a bit on, um, on you know, going back to this point of the kids I serve and, and whether I'm able, whether I'm serving the kids as well as I could be. Um, and, and there's definitely some things that I've taken away from the conversation around uh, around that feel element particularly that I think are going to be really valuable uh, helping me working with the, the the children that I'm I'm supporting so um, I know that well if, if, if anything just selfishly because obviously we're very narcissistic uh, selfishly I've got a lot out of it so that's that's great well no that's a pleasure and, um, and thanks for having me on no problem. Uh, and um, like, like always, um, as the as the new projects start to pop into start to come on, it may well be that we can revisit this conversation further down the line. And um, and then, you know, you can maybe sort of share with you some of the experiences that you have in working on the apprenticeships, but also some of the other things that you're doing within the coaching space as well. Yeah, lovely. Would love to. Great stuff. Um, Thanks, Nick. OK, well, listen, have a good day and um, I will uh, go and retire to the Sun Lounger. Cheers.
Thanks for listening to the Talent Equation podcast. If you like the show, then please consider supporting it by leaving a review on your favorite podcast player, telling your friends about it, or even becoming a hero and show your appreciation by becoming a patron. Just head over to thetalentequation.co.uk and click on the Becoming a Patron button at the top of the page. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.